0: Make some noise for King Jesus this morning. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm so excited for what he gives us the chance and the opportunity to be a part of. And uh, all of this is for him, it's by him, it's through him. And uh, the goal every single Sunday is to make a big deal about Jesus. And so uh, that's what we aim every Sunday, and I'm excited that we get to do it uh, together in community. And uh, once, one more time, if you're new here we're so glad you're here, and uh, listen, we're not going to spam you at all. Uh, we just simply want to serve you, and uh, we appreciate you taking time to come and uh, be with us today. And uh, we know you could have been anywhere else in the world, uh, but you chose to come be with us at the becoming, and that means a lot to us. And uh, today, I'm also excited. It's just, I'm just excited, I guess. Uh, we're continuing in week two of our collection called The Way. Uh, we kick this off Uh, last Sunday, we speak in collections here at The Becoming Church, so basically we'll take a thought and kind of just pull it apart for about four or five weeks or so. And uh, so last week we began that in this uh, collection called The Way. And uh, the idea, the premise of this uh, collection is to answer this question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Uh, Because you hear that term uh, so often, but Have you ever paused and asked, like, what does that even mean? Like, is it about church attendance? Is it about how much you give, how much you serve, how much, like, all those, like, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? And so last week, uh, we began that conversation, and here's uh, where we landed, that Christianity just can't be uh, that we believe the truth about Jesus, but that we believe that he is the way. Because the collection is based on John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am no way, the truth, and the life. And the reality is we don't get to Jesus being the truth and the life without first discovering that he is the way. And so we don't follow him our way, but we follow him his way. You may have heard of these things called the practices. And in Luke 6, uh, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not put into practice what I teach. And so we have the practices of the, of the faith. And so last week, we kind of laid the foundation on what it looks like to practice the way of following Jesus. And today, uh, we're going to continue that conversation in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. It's going to help lead us off in that conversation. So you can flip with me there, scroll with me there. It's going to be here on the screen. But as you go there, would you please stand with me uh, as we read God's word, just for the honor of his word. You know, when you go to different rooms to different spaces all across uh, the world, for that matter, you know, somebody walks in the room of, of honor or prestige as they say you stand. And so I feel like how much more can we honor the word of our king, the word of our God, and standing. So here it is, Luke 14 verse 25. It says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning and turning to them he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. And then verse 33, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Come on, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we're grateful, we're thankful, God, for the space that we share together this morning. Lord, over these next few moments, God, we just thank you. God, for, that we get to dive into your word. God, your word that has transformative power. Lord, we're not here for a TED Talk, but we're here for the revelation of your word. God, thank you for your presence. God, thank you that your presence is here. We don't have to ask for your presence here. You're already here. Lord, help us to be in tune to you in this in these moments. So God, whatever distractions exist, Lord, may you get rid of them so that we can focus on what it is that you're saying through your word to us today. And so, Lord, as your servants, we say, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, come on. Everybody said. Amen. 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 You may be seated. You know, I don't know about you, uh, but but I, I like being in control. Anybody, by the laughs, I can see, I got some people who agree with me. You know, I'll determine what I will do and what I won't do based on the level of control that I have. So, like, for instance, say I needed a ride, but I've witnessed your driving. (laughs) I'll still need a ride because I'm not going to ride with you because I'm out of control. Unless your car has, you know, the gas and the pedal like driver's head, Uh, used to have, or I can hit the brakes and hit the gas when need be. I'm not going to ride with you. You know, I hope my kids, you know, I I hope they never want to go to Disney World. I'm just going to be honest. Um, I hope they never want to go to any of those theme parks, nothing like that. Uh, And if if so, I hope they don't want to ride those crazy rides because I'm not going to do it. It's sad because I'm out of control. First of all, I'm 6'4". The thing is not gonna clamp on me. If it's anyone that's gonna be on the news that fell out, it would be me. I can't stop the thing when I'm like, yo, this is too much. Just stop, let me get off, and they can keep going. I can't do that. I'm out of control. So we can get into teacups, and we can call it a good day. Roller coasters, none of that. (laughs) Because I'm out of control. So here's what I'm saying I'll drive, I'll pick the rides. And I'll pick everything because I must be in control. Let me ask us this. How many of us follow Jesus the same way? Where we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. But, but here's the thing. I, I just need a little bit of control. If I can kind of pick, you know, the, the parts of this whole situation, then I'm with you. Like as long as, long as I can have some control, Jesus, We're good. Yeah, sure. we're good. Or how many of us, you know, we say, you know, Jesus, I, I would follow you, but you know, that, that whole, like, control thing, that whole control issue, you know, I, I, I want to follow you, but can, can we discuss that before I make this commitment? Listen, family, as followers of the way of Jesus, we aren't called to live a controlled life, but a surrendered life. So this whole thing about following Jesus is not about how much of this journey can I control, but it's about how much am I willing to surrender because he's not calling us to control this. Remember, he says, I am the way. He doesn't say, well, I am the way, and we can include a little bit of your ideas. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, as we continue this collection the way, I want to speak from, from this headline, the way of surrender. And so what we'll do, we'll make some observations on just what it looks like to live a surrendered life. We'll look at some truths to what it means to live a surrendered life. Because we, we, we don't master our faith, if you will, but we practice it. And so we can examine the life of Jesus and his time here on earth. And there were different practices that he modeled out that become examples for us to live, whether that's the, the practice of fasting, the practice of, of prayer, the practice of faith, or today the practice of surrender. If it's cool with y'all, we're going to track that way and uh, we'll see what he says. Is that cool? Well, Let's do it. So I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard the phrase, there's a cost to doing business? Or or maybe um, it takes money to make money? Or how about this, scared money don't make no money? You ever heard of that one? (laughs) At the core of these phrases is this, that you must give up one thing in order to receive another thing. So if you want this, this is the cost, right? If you want to expand into that market, if you want to introduce your product into that territory, there is an opportunity cost. So, yes, that's a great opportunity, but here is the cost in order to expand, in order to make that happen. There is a cost that comes with it. Now, you're like, what are we we talking about stepping into new market? No, that's not what we're talking about, but here's the point that I'm about to make, is that there were crowds that were following Jesus. Like everyone, they were attracted to him. They were attracted to to the miracles, to the healings, to the signs, to the wonders, and of course, you know, the free food, the whole two fish, five loaves, you know, five loaves of bread thing, right? So so he he was a big deal. Like he was trending, if you will. He went viral. He was a social media, Instagram, TikTok sensation. So because of that, people wanted to be around him. But understand this, just because... You want to be around him or you find yourself around Jesus doesn't mean that you want to become like Jesus. That proximity to him does not always translate to meaning I want to be like him. So here's the thing. The crowd, they desired and loved the benefits of what he did, but they did not want to understand who he was. So it's great what you're doing. I love that the miracles, all that we telling. They're like, "Yo, did you see? Dude can see. Now he see. Like all that he can walk. He's walking. All these things. It was great." But then when it came time to understanding who he was and what he was calling them to, many did not want to be a part of that. So they enjoyed the gifts but did not want to surrender to the life that he was calling them to. That's the question that we're going to have to that we have to answer here this morning. We have to answer that same question as well as the crowds. Because you know, sometimes it can actually be easier to do this thing like this, to gather together, to have belong groups and and to have pursuit night, team night, all the things that we're doing here as a church community. But you know what I saw during the pandemic is that there were many of us that hadn't truly counted the cost of following Jesus. Can I follow you when it looks like this? Can I follow you when it's a little uncertain? Can I follow you, like Esther said earlier, when my money is a little funny? Can I follow you when there's uncertainty of my health? Can I still follow you? Jesus is saying, count the cost of what it means to follow me. And the way we count that cost is to live a surrendered life because of anything that 2020 taught us was that we are not in control. But what we live with is a sense, is a false sense of control. You know, I make those statements earlier, but I can't control anything. So then it's back to this reality and I must live a surrendered life to following the way of Jesus. So let's Let's look at this, what it means. Let's pull some truths. And here's the first truth I want us to to discuss is this, live in denial. So if we're going to live, we're going to follow the way of surrender, we must live in denial. Look at Luke 14, 26. It says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, you look at that. And you're like, hold, hold on, wait a minute. This don't make no sense. So you telling me that Jesus is telling me I need to hate my father and mother and my wife? Oh, yeah. Some of y'all, hey, stop. Some of y'all, I told you. That was a joke. Was it too much? I'll get back to Scripture. And children, brothers and sisters as well. Even myself? Like, this, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't track with the character of Jesus. Because, I mean, aren't we told to honor our father and mother? Like, shouldn't I love my wife as Christ loves the church? Doesn't Scripture say that children are a gift from the Lord? They're like arrows in my hand. Like, what do you mean? Hey, sh- shouldn't I be able to love myself so that I can love my neighbor? What, what is Jesus talking about here? Jesus isn't actually calling us to hate our, our, our parents, our, our spouse, our children, or ourselves. No. What Jesus is asking us is, are you willing to deny the things that matter the most to you in order to follow me? Are you willing to say no to that promotion, although it'll increase your salary by 30000 a year, but you're going to be gone 250 days a year? So not only will your connection to me suffer, but also the connection to your family. So are you willing to say no to that? Are you willing to say no to moving to that city even though everybody else in the world is moving to that city? Are you willing to deny yourself of what you want to do in order to follow me? There's a cost to following Jesus that looks like us living in denial. In fact, that word denial means forgetting self. And listen, as a follower of the way of Jesus, you are someone who lives in denial. That's just the way it is. Look at Galatians 5, 16. It says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul here in Galatians is saying, look. Walk by the Spirit, the Spirit of God that lives in you as a believer in Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells in you. Walk by what He is is speaking to you. Walk by how He is leading you. And if you're walking by the Spirit, guess what? That's going to mean that we're going to have to say no to our flesh, the carnal part of us, the part of us that want to do what we want when we want it, and how we want to do it. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and if you do, you're not going to gratify or satisfy the desires of your, of your flesh. That sounds like denial. It's that moment where somebody wrongs you and you want to get them back by wronging them, but it's saying, no, this is not the way. That's why we can't get up in, caught up in feelings because feelings... Just because we feel a thing doesn't mean that it is the truth, but it's walking by the Spirit saying, what does your word say? What are you calling me to? And let me say this, denying self and prioritizing Jesus is the mark of a disciple. That, Lord, I'm prioritizing you. I'm denying myself. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Remember, this whole thing about following the way of Jesus is us saying that, that we're becoming disciples or apprentices. We're apprenticing under Jesus. And so it looks like prioritizing him and denying ourselves. And here's what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't call us to do anything that, one, he hasn't first felt or that he hasn't modeled out for us as well. In Matthew uh, chapter 26 He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is the moment uh, where he's preparing to die on the cross to to be crucified for the sins of humanity. And he's there praying in the garden, and he's feeling the weight of all of that, of having to take on the sins of the world. And he's praying, and he has this moment where he says, Lord, like, Father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering. Take take this, this wrath that's being poured out on me. Can you take that away from me if there's any other way? Let's do that way. But then he goes on to say, let your will be done. This was Jesus in a moment denying himself, right? Denying himself and prioritizing what God was calling him to. Listen, family, the call to deny yourself, because some, some of us can hear this like, wait a minute. So, so is this just about, life's just supposed to be boring? Do I never get to do What I want to do? Is life going to be fulfilling. This sounds boring. Not at all. The call to deny yourself is not to destroy your life, but it's to connect you to destiny. It's to connect you to something so much bigger. See, when Jesus denied himself in this moment, he was fulfilling the will of God for his life. And so because of what Jesus did, it has impacted all of us today. So now... Sin does, no longer has us bound. Sin no longer has a hold on us because who the Son set free is free indeed because Jesus in a moment was willing to deny himself and say yes to the will of God. What could happen if we were a people that denied ourselves but we live connected to the will of God? That all the things we turn on uh, the TV or social media and we see happening in the world, what if we were people who, were, who said, listen, I'm going to live in denial. I'm going to deny myself, deny how I feel, deny the reality of how this may make me look. I think we could see things change in our world. Oftentimes, we're looking for somebody else to bring the change. But the Lord said, if you will deny yourself, connect your life to destiny, you are the answer for the thing that you're hoping someone else will do. Because remember, that's the definition of purpose. God has his will on what he wants to see happen in the earth. And he says, I'm giving you a chance to connect with it. And that's how we live in purpose. So denying yourself isn't for the the purpose of destroying your life or living a mundane life, but it's about living an exciting life, a thrilling life, a life of faith, a life of saying, I'm connected to God. This is how wild this is. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm along for the ride because I'm not fueling this journey, but it's a journey that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We got to live in denial of ourselves so that we can say yes to fulfilling the will of God. Denying you connects you to fulfilling God's will. Here's, here's the next truth doing is not being. Here's a, doing is not being. This is the next truth when it comes to living in the way of surrender. You know, the way of Jesus is about becoming a disciple, becoming an apprentice. And the goal of an apprentice is to become, of Jesus, I should say, is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. So those are our goals. want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. But listen, no matter if you have been on this journey with Jesus for a while or if you are new to this journey, we can't get that order wrong, right? It's be with him. It's become like him. And it's do what he did. But here's what I've learned is that many Christians confuse what we do for Jesus with being with Jesus. So we think that just because we do all these things that it's the same with being with Jesus. And the things that we do are not bad, right? That that, you may say this is kind of counterintuitive, but no, it's it's the truth and we got to understand the right perspective. We could come in here on Sunday mornings, our serve team, we could set all this stuff up, which, which we do. And we could think because we did that, that that was the same as being with Jesus. But it's not. We can't confuse because confusing doing and being is a dangerous game to play. Here's what I mean. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. This is Jesus. He's saying, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I don't know about you guys, but those are some scary words. Those are some frightening words because I can say, wait a minute, Lord, we didn't prophesy. We didn't cast out demons. We, just, we have prayed and we saw the, the sick become well. But you're going to say you didn't know me? You, you're going to say, depart from me? You work of a nick? Whoa, 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 whoa. How did we get here? Slow down a little bit. How did we get here? It's because we confuse doing for Jesus. With being with Jesus. Listen, surrendering to Jesus is not about what we can do for him, but it's about being with him. That he wants all of what God did in saving Jesus was so that he could restore back us back to the moments of the garden. When God walked with man in the cool of the day. In other words, he did all of this just so that we could be with him. And so, if the doing gets in way of the being, then we have missed the point. And oftentimes, it's because we are so busy. Like, listen, the greatest barrier to being with Jesus is busyness. Without a shadow of a doubt, I believe that. Because look at it, you can talk to people, "Hey, how you doing?" "Oh, I'm busy." <laughs> I, I was asking you, "How are you doing?" "No, no, I'm busy. I'm busy." You got time for a call? I can't. I'm busy. You got time to grab lunch? No, I can't. I'm busy. You got, I'm busy, busy. And then like the head just explodes. That's how like the malfunction, like a robot. That's just how I imagine. It's like there's just, you just program. Like I'm busy. I'm busy. In fact, it's like a competition. The water cooler at work, right? Who can see how busy? Man, Jimmy has this. Jimmy's got that. Sally's got this, i got to crisscross over town, go over here, then i got to double back over here, and then for the next seven weekends, we're out of town, and then when we get back, we're going to pack up, and then we're going to drop. Like, yo, how are you making all this happen? Remember, the system of the world desires to disciple us into its pattern. And one of the patterns of the world that they want to disciple us into is busyness. It's this idea that You notice everybody's on their grind. I'm on my grind. Entrepreneur out here. I'm expanding. I'm going into new territory. I'm about to open this business and that business. I got to be making it. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus says, slow down. What would happen if we slow down? because maybe the business that you're working on you get the insight and the revelation and that key thing that you haven't been able to figure out because you've been so busy trying to do it on your own but instead of slowing down in a moment where you're sitting with the Lord in prayer or the word, he downloads that idea that could be the thing that propels your business off anyway but because we think that it's in our own strength that we think we have to do and do and do and do instead of being now, I'm not dismissing doing. I don't believe in the statement, you know, the statement that um, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. I don't believe in that statement because we are called to do. We are called to work. We are called to get our hands dirty, but not at the expense of being. Because when when you can allow yourself to be, it'll give you direction on what to do. But we, So we can't get the order Wrong in all that Jesus did, and he knew in, in three years of earthly ministry before he'd be crucified, he wasn't running all over the place. So, if there was anyone thinking that I've got to hurry up and I've got to be busy, it would be him. But even in a moment where his best friend Lazarus, where he got news that he died, he stayed where he was four days because he knew that being with my father. Being connected with his will. Everything else on the other side that needed to happen with Lazarus was going to happen. So my encouragement for us today is to slow down. Look at what Coryton Boom says. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because both sin and busyness, they have the same effect. So they'll disrupt your connection to God, your connection to others, and, and even your connection to the connection to your own soul. And when that happens, family, it opens the door for the enemy to have a field day in your life. Most people don't have issues in the silence and in, in being still and in being with God. The issues come when they got busy. You ever notice people? They say, "I, I just, I was running. I, I, got so busy, and I just, I just had a blind spot." Because we are called to slow down and listen. I talked about, I talked about doing, and the doing isn't bad. It's good stuff. Uh, there's a, there's a scripture, there's a passage in, a, in the Bible in Luke 10, uh, verses 38 through 42, where Jesus and the disciples they show up to the home of Martha and Mary, and they step into the house. And Martha, she's doing great things. She's being a a wonderful hostess and she's going to go prepare a meal. And she's cooking and she's getting everything together as you think you would do when you're hosting someone. But Mary, she chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and be with him. Now, Martha had a problem with that. She's like, yo, Jesus, tell this girl to get up and get in this kitchen. You and D12 then showed up. Y'all eat a lot. <laughs> it's a whole lot of work to get this food. Like, get them in here. Get her in here, sitting over here, talking about read me. No, get in here. Help me. But this food. But Jesus says to Martha, like, yo, you tripping. <laughs> but he says, no, you're worried about all these things. You're worried about just too much. Mary has found the good portion. She's found the right thing. You were about all the details, but she's found this thing that will not be taken away from her. What was Jesus saying? Like, yo, sometimes, like, those things are good. It's good to serve. It's good, yes, and it's good. And listen, if you hadn't served, you should jump on the serve team. So, well, you said don't be serving so much, so I'm going to have to go on planning center, and then, you know, I'm going to go to, like, every other month. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But it's about being Because we can't allow the details of life to distract us from the presence of God. We need his presence. It's like David says in Psalm 27. He says, the thing that I seek, the the one thing that I desire the most is to be in his presence, to dwell in the presence of God, to worship him, to inquire about him. We need God's presence. So listen, family, we have to surrender the thought that following the way of Jesus means doing for Jesus. And here's the final truth we'll look at today is this. order? The order matters. The order matters. You know, I don't go to the grocery store uh, often in terms of shopping in our home. But when I do, Katie always gives me a list. And I love to think that it's just because, you know, she just wants to make sure, you know, I don't, I don't you know, miss anything but you know I just feel like it's almost probably way like I just don't trust you to get what needs to be (laughs) but I will say she does a really good job of making the list easy for me to follow right she will like when it's the big shopping like she'll make the list in a way that follows the order of the store right so all I have to do is literally follow the order the flow of the grocery store that's it family how many of you guys know? I don't follow the order of that list. I'm all over the place, and what should probably take about 25 minutes, call, <laughs> it normally takes 45 minutes. And then she's calling me like, "Hey, is everything okay?" Because like I really should have been back. I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm over here, but why are you over there? Why well, didn't no public said they had buy one get one? I was seeing what I could get one for free." <laughs> Order matters. <laughs> now, following Jesus can be much like the order of that list, meaning this is how we look at it. We'll, we'll pay attention to the job. Like, got to pay attention to the job. We got to make sure the finances are right. We'll pay, we'll pay, you know, the family. Family's important. You know, marriage, the kids, You know, the golf swing, you know, the, the latest series on Netflix. Oh, and, and, and then God. All right. But listen, family, when we get the order wrong, we get life wrong. Look at Matthew six thirty-three. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, when Jesus says seek first, we're not talking in sequential order here. Like, you know, God, spouse, kids, family, friends, career. Like That's not what he's talking about. First here. Is meaning like center. So something that, that's gonna establish things. So meaning as we seek God and His kingdom as the center of our lives, that it establishes every other of life, other every other area of life. There we go. So from Him being the center, it establishes our marriage. It established our relationship with our kids, our our family, friends, our career, so on and so forth. But we must make him the center because it's not about God being the first on a list. Because as we just saw in my grocery store example experience, that a list can be reordered. But it's about I'm making him the center of of my life. And even when you look at uh, heaven and how we are worshiping God, he's the center, right? And we're all around him, the angels and all of us, every tribe, every tongue, we are around him declaring his holiness. So it's a picture of worship then and how we worship with our lives now. That we make him the center of our life and from that place everything else will flow. So then You don't have to worry about your marriage because you've made God the center and he's helping to establish your marriage. You don't have to worry about your kids because as you make God the center, he's going to give you the guidance and the directions and how to care for your kids well. Your career, your finances, so on and so forth. Because we've made him the center. Order matters. Now listen, we don't seek God in the kingdom because of what he can do for us. We seek him in his kingdom because he is worthy to us. It's this revelation, that, God, that you are worthy, you are holy, you are righteous, and I'm seeking you and making you as the center of my life. And as we close today, Micah, if you help me land this plane, I want us to look at the story of Abraham. Some of you may be familiar. But Abraham, he gets this call from God In Genesis 12 to leave his father's house to leave everything and to go to a place that God says I'm gonna show you so no instructions no details other than that go I'm gonna make your name great I'm gonna turn you to to many nations I'm, I'm gonna bless you can I say right there is that some of us were hesitant to respond to the urging of God because we don't have all the details Can I tell you, oftentimes God will give the call and he'll exclude the details because he's looking, how will you trust me? How will you have faith in me? So this is what Abraham does. Abraham does. He leaves, he he follows through, and and there are several things that happen in this moment, and, and it gets to a point where in this vision, God and Abraham, they're having this conversation, and he's like, listen, God... This is basically, it's like, God, this is awesome. That, cool, you're going to bless me and and all these things, all these cool things that happen, but I don't have anyone in my house to leave this to except my servant. So I guess, is he going to be the heir to all of this? And then God says, don't worry about that because he will not, but I'm going to bless you with an offspring. So God makes this promise, makes this covenant with him. Now, time goes by. And Abram and his wife decides that God needs help. (laughs) And so then they have Abram to go sleep with their housemaid, and they have Ishmael. Can I tell you that sometimes we're like that, where we think God needs help. Because maybe there was a word, maybe there was a promise, maybe there was something that God spoke to us, and we haven't seen it come to pass. So then we, we feel like he needs help. But can I caution you before you do it? God doesn't need help. He's God all by himself. So time moves on. And they're having this conversation, and God says to him, listen, this time next year, she's going to be pregnant. You guys are going to have a son. Now, the Bible literally says, like, Abraham is, like, rolling on the floor laughing. He falls on his face laughing because he's like, how me, an old man? And she's an old woman. He said that about her. I didn't say it how is this going to happen? And sometimes we can feel like that. We can see the call. We can see the promise and say, how can you do that? How can you free me from this? I'm deep in it. Do you know the family I, I'm from? Do you know my past? Do you know my struggle? Do you know my issue? Free? There's no free for me. And so some of us, we take that same mindset as apron. But God says, this time next year. And so this time next year arrives, and sure enough, they have Isaac in their old age, 25 years removed from the promise. Can I tell you, just because it's been a long time, don't give up. Just because it's looking weird, just because it's looking strange, just because it's looking funny, don't give up. It was 25 years from the moment of the promise to they held the promise. So don't give up. Hear me. So now you can understand the confusion in this moment when God says, Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to, to make an offering before me. And I want Isaac, the son you love, to be the sacrifice. Can you imagine how you would have felt like, hold on, bro. You telling me the son that I was literally fell on my face laughing about you blessing us with that you want me to go offer him as a sacrifice? That makes no sense. But I feel like Abraham in that moment, he trusted his track record with God because he could look back and see you told me to go to a land that I didn't know and I would bless you. And you've done that. You've done all these things with me. Family, can you go back and see the track record that you have with God? To see his faithfulness, to see the ways he showed up, to see the ways that he made a way out of no way. And trust that if he did it before, that he'll do it again. And you say, I don't even have a track record with God. Can I tell you the fact that you are here today is your track record? Because you could have been dead and gone and never having the opportunity to hear the story of his faithfulness. But here you are here today because of his faithfulness. That's your track record. Because when you weren't considering him, he was considering you. And I know that to be true because I see that in my own life. But here they are. They get supplies needed to make a sacrifice. He brings two servants and Isaac, and they're making their way up the mountain. They get to this point where Abraham says, listen, uh, stay here because the boy and I are going to go worship. So pay attention to the choice of words. He says, the boy and I are going to go worship. He didn't say sac- sacrifice. He says, the boy and I are going to go worship. And so they get to the mountain, and they've prepared the altar. And now at this point, Isaac is bound to the altar. And that's a whole not- another, sto- another story of faithfulness right there. The faith of Isaac. Because he wasn't a six-year-old boy going with his father. He was much older. And his, man, his, his dad's an old man. So perhaps he could have realized like, wait a minute. I see the materials. I don't see the Hold on, bro. But he didn't. And maybe, just maybe, he saw the way his father trusted the father. And although he didn't understand he went along with it because he too saw the faithfulness of God. What if we could live in such a way of faith that people in a distance saw the way that we live, and because we live with faith that it developed and built faith in them so that, tr- that they could trust God in the same way? We can tell a story with our lives even from a distance. But here's what I'm getting at. Right in that moment where Abraham is ready to sacrifice Isaac, the angel of the Lord, which anytime you see that in the old testament means Jesus. He makes an appearance and he says, Don't put a hand on the boy. And then Abraham, Abraham looks up and he sees in, off in the bush a ram that's provided for the sacrifice. Here's the point that I'm getting at today. Is that obedience comes before provision? See, many of us, we struggle with surrender because we don't see the provision. So we say, God, I want to obey. I want to trust you. I want to follow the way of Jesus. I want to surrender. But I don't know what's on the other side. But this life that God calls us to is the life of being called to obedience and understand as we obey him, the provision will show up. So he's calling us to say, listen... I don't have to know what's on the other side, that I'm going to trust you. I don't have to know exactly all the details of this journey, but I'm going to obey you. I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what this is going to come out as, but I'm going to trust you, and we're going to believe that the provision I need will meet me on the other side of obedience. Many of us, we want the provision. But the provision doesn't come first. Hear me. It's the obedience that comes first. So this whole thing of the way of surrender is God calling us to a life of obedience. A life that says, I'm laying down what I want. I'm living in denial so that I can follow you. So that I can be connected to purpose. And there was a word that Abraham used. He said, the boy and I are going to go worship. What was he getting at? You know, oftentimes when we're in a service doing corporate worship through music, we would say this in an ex- in, in a, in a act of exhortation. We say, why don't you lift your hands? And the reason why we lift our hands is because it's an expression outwardly of what's happening inwardly, meaning we're surrendering everything And we we express it outwardly by the lifting up of our hands. And it kind of reminds me of our three-year-old daughter, that when she's reached the end of her road, the end of herself, when she's tired, when she's sleepy, she's fed up, that everything she's tried to do, she hasn't gotten her way, it hasn't worked out, she finally realizes, I need to surrender. And she asks me or Katie, she says, will you hold me? Will you pick me? Family, that is the life that God is calling us to. He's calling us to a life of surrender, a life that says, Father, I'm surrendering, doing it my way, that I'm tired, that no way that I've tried of my own has led to any success. So here I am before you. I'm surrendering the career. I'm surrendering the dreams. I'm surrendering it all because I want to follow you. I don't know no other way. There is no other way. That you're the only way. In fact, you're the way, the truth, and the life. And so here I am living in surrender. And when we live in surrender, family, it produces obedience, which then brings provision. It's surrender. It's obedience. And then it's provision. Provision. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? It looks like to live in the way of surrender. Because Jesus says this in Luke 14, He says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up, everything you have cannot be my disciples. So here's what I'm calling us to this morning. Give up. Would you please give up? Some of us, we've had our guard up. We we, we take this man. I'm a man. God says, give up. I'm in control. He says, give up. Because the reality is no one's in control. It's a false sense of control that we live with. As much as I love my kids, I can't make them breathe their next breath. When they were little, I would stare at them to look and see their chest going up. But what if it didn't? I couldn't make it do it because I was never in in control. But he is. And he's asking us this morning to give up. When's the last time you've been called to give up? I'm calling us all this morning to give up. And stop trying to do this in your own effort and surrender to the power of Jesus because following Jesus isn't empowered by your effort. It's powered by your willingness to surrender. Would you pray with me this morning?